captain's logs. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Listening to Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, part of the Geek News Now podcast network. Hey, Captain's Logs and Lightsabers listeners. Got tats? Love your ink? But are you worried that your art will fade over time and the cost to keep it looking vibrant and fresh gets to be too much? Well, that's where Mad Rabbit comes in. After just one use, you'll see how Mad Rabbit is effective on old and new tattoos. All natural ingredients are used to keep this from feeling oily or greasy. Even better, use promo code CLLPOD and save a whopping 20% on every purchase. Keep your ink looking great and save money. Check it out. MadRabbit.com. Promo code CLLPOD. Hey, welcome to episode 24 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. We are the podcast with Geek News Now that covers both Star Trek and Star Wars on the same show. My name is Jonathan, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. Join me, Joining me for this episode again, as he always is, is my co-host Chris. How have you been since the last time we recorded, Chris? I've been doing great there, Jonathan. It's good to be talking to you again. Absolutely. Uh, it's been about a month since we recorded, so I'm excited to to really get into this topic. Or, Well, actually, uh, the reason why we're here today is we have a special guest on the show. Uh, our guest today works in 3D animation as a technical director. He's worked on projects like the 2021 Rugrats reboot on Paramount+, Plus, as well as a show that is very near and dear to Chris and I's hearts, Star Trek Prodigy. We're going to be chatting with our guest about exactly what a technical director does for the world of 3D animation, find out more about his Star Wars and Star Trek fandoms, and, you know, everything else along the way. So please welcome Landon Ginn to the Captain's Logs and Lightsabers podcast. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, Yeah, so I'm Landon. I've been a uh, technical director in the 3D industry for probably about 12 years now, Um, currently out in the LA area. as you mentioned, I've worked on projects like Rugrats, a little bit of helping out with some of the SpongeBob um, 3D animations. Uh, and then the more recent project I've been a part of, as you said, was Star Trek Prodigy, which was a about two years that I was working on the project. And I was um, one of the original people getting that show started. Very nice. I, I know Chris and I are, are no lie. We're we're huge fans of the show. It's, Absolutely, it's, <laughs> it's definitely um, it's one of one of the favorite things that we got to experience last year for sure. That's awesome. Glad to hear it. All right, so uh, we're going to kick off our show the same way we do all of our episodes, and that's with how did you geek this week? So, Chris, why don't you start us off? All righty. Well, I geeked as early as yesterday. So I've said before that I'm a member of Starfleet International and the the Pittsburgh chapter is the USS Stella Parada. So we had a crew event yesterday down in the south side works of Pittsburgh. We went to a place called Pins Mechanics. And basically what it is, it's kind of like a arcade almost for adults kind of like Dave and Buster's, but it was a little different in the fact that we got to go and it, it doesn't really cost a whole lot of money. You just go in, they have old school arcade games from the eighties and into the early nineties that we got to play for free. So for the first time I actually got to beat the old Ninja Turtles, uh, uh arcade game. <laughs> and, uh, we, my, one of my crewmates actually beat the Simpsons, which was really awesome. So, but I got to play the old arcade Mario brothers, Donkey Kong jr few other odds and ends then we also played some different pinball games and then they have a different they have a life-size jenga board that you can actually play and kind of like topple your body over when the game's over if if it doesn't go over itself which was a lot of fun we actually got to go down these slides which was really cool and we actually filmed ourselves as we were traveling down the slides and then we ended by playing some duck bin is it duck pin bowling i think is what it was called 
And uh, I won there, that one with a score of 101. Woohoo. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, I, I, it was a blast. Getting to be with my crewmates on board the Stella Parada, it's, it's a real blast. So, Jonathan, how about you? How did you geek this week? I don't know how many people know, but I'm a massive Broadway geek. Um, my wife and I always buy the season tickets to uh, all the performances that come through our town. And uh, both yesterday and today, we got to see Six, uh, which is about the, the six wives of Henry VIII. But it's presented in a uh, pop concert format. So a lot of the songs are based on some very popular pop divas. Um so each queen kind of has a different personality. So like one of them is very much like Beyonce or Mariah. Another one is like Ariana and it's just like a pop concert atmosphere. Uh, but they're kind of, you know, in a, in a way it's kind of like the Hamilton approach, bringing history uh, into a, a more of a modern lens. And it was a really fun show. Cool. Wow. That sounds incredible. It was a great show. I it's easily probably one of my top 10 of all time that I've seen. Nice. Sounds like you guys had a great time. I think I saw a picture of you and, and Kylie on Facebook. So that was, that was I think, I, I think I've seen pictures of you guys going there. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. pretty neat. Like it's almost like a little visual scrapbook you're putting online, you know, <laughs> very much. I enjoy yeah. it. Um, so uh, Landon, how did you geek this week? You're probably going to blow us out of the water here, but I'm sure. <laughs> oh, Maybe maybe I'm just jumping on the bandwagon on this one, but uh, this whole week I've been diving into the world of um, you know popular topic today, but like the Chat GPT and the OpenAI projects. So I've spent a little bit of time the last two days coming up with a way to generate uh, thumbnail images for like YouTube videos, um, as well as just a few because I'm a, I'm a, a programmer, so I like to dive into any new programming related technology, and so I'm just finding ways to just be like, hey. I want to make a function to generate this kind of content or this kind of text or image or whatnot. So I've just been really going completely just hands in on the open AI technology right now. Wow. Um, so could you give us a, a, just a brief overview of what open AI is and what purpose it serves? Yeah, totally. Um, so, I mean, obviously it's a, a subject that, has a lot of um, moving parts right now and a lot of opinions um, depending on the subject matter. But the OpenAI project is a open source, I guess, or open, openly available rather, um, project of AI and machine learning. The framework is out there, but it's basically open to the public on how you can develop the models, uh, the training data um, for a myriad of tasks. And that can range from everything as simple as being able to recommend products on a website if you if you shopped for one thing maybe you would like these things based on other people um to generative models like uh i have an idea in my head but i don't know how exactly to draw it so let me get a um a base level image and i can just describe in text you know what kind of environment or uh say i want a landscape that's like whimsical and planetary in the stars and and uh the hero characters in the foreground, et cetera. You just type that up and it can whip out an image uh, for you if you wanted to. Or conversely, you could do it in a uh, like a script-based thing where you want to set the scene for an acting uh, set and it would be able to generate a brief script for you. Okay. Um, I, without knowing it, I actually do have some experience with that. Uh, a couple of the... Discord chats and servers that I'm in have uh, it's called Mid Journey Playground and it, yeah. it's the same idea. You you type in narrative of what you want to see if it's like you know a character from a movie uh, dressed in uh, I don't know steampunk gear. You could say Han Solo steampunk and it would generate images for you to that you know along that theme. Yeah, exactly. And and something that I use it a lot for and this is specifically the Chat GPT project which is more of a um a chat-based kind of interaction with an AI system uh, that has a very, very profound like training model that it, that is running it. Uh, I use it to learn things, actually. So I use it kind of as a self-education space. So if I don't know how to use a certain module in the Python programming language, I can be like, hey, can you write me a script to do this action? And it will generate a script for me. And then I just look over and recognize, okay, that's how it, they set it up. Uh, now I can run with it and get creative from that point. Okay. 
So mm. it's kind of like uh, just a way to help you hone your craft. Yeah, exactly. Like it, I think that one of the more uh, like one of the largest potential areas for this that kind of technology has to do with uh, like personal trainers or personal tutors. So I think that the education space is going to definitely be benefiting from that. That you know the potential is limitless. It sounds mm-hmm. like. So I, I guess on that note, we're going to kick off our discussion here with Landon and ask him a few questions. You know, we're going to learn about what a technical director does and what he has done for the animation industry. But before we get into all that, I want to start by asking him the same question that we ask all of our guests to come on Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, and that's to tell us a little bit about your Star Trek and Star Wars fandoms. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. So I definitely, oh, how old was I? Uh, maybe that revealed too much about me, but um, <laughs> I remember watching the original three Star Wars and really enjoying um, just the worlds, the characters, uh, the story. I was a lot more obsessed with the uh, aliens rather than the humans. So I, when I was younger, I wasn't paying too much attention to anything like any love stories or <laughs> any bit of that. I was more just like, oh, wow, Yoda's cool. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, and that's a big, ugly dude. Um, uh, the Sarlacc. Um, mm-hmm. uh-huh. that, that was probably one of the, the cooler things I remember as a kid. But um, And then when it came to Star Trek, I strange, this is going to be so weird because like I don't have the same kind of uh, introductory into the franchise. I was actually helping generate some fonts for someone to be able to type out. And I was trying to figure out how to get some of the uh, Romulan and Oaken languages uh, typed out as like a um, something you can use your keyboard to try and try and do, hmm. and that was years ago. So I don't have access to those files. And I, man, I wish I did. But once I got into that, I'm just like, okay, I want to. I need to like give myself some context and and watch a few uh, episodes and pieces here and there. And and uh, so I didn't get. I, I won't say I get too much into Star Trek nearly as much as Star Wars, but that's how I kind of got into awareness of Star Trek. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting to see what you know typing out uh, a phrase or something in Romulan you know using a standard keyboard would it would end up looking like. Mm-hmm. It's very sloppy, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> that had to be that had to come up with a whole less a whole set of challenges. I'm sure. Yeah, un- just understanding some of the, I guess the phonetics <laughs> that go along with it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. exactly did you ever have a klingon dictionary with you <laughs> you know that probably would have helped if i got into that space uh. <laughs> i mean is uh are, are the romulan languages and the vulcan languages are they as thoroughly developed as klingon you know i haven't i know that like duolingo has klingon available i don't i i doubt i doubt that they're as well developed um mm-hmm. Because there was a lot of theory that was being tossed around for the most part, and I am not a linguist by any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination. It was just a request and uh, <laughs> me just trying to jump in, right? Uh, so there's a lot to learn and a lot of um, dissecting even differences between the two. Mm. Well, if you ever get back into it again, let me know. I'll mail you my Klingon dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. It's a good collector's item. <laughs> All right, Chris, do you have a question for for Landon here? Yes, I do. So, if you could live in the Star Wars and Star Trek galaxies, what would you do? Would you be a Jedi, a scoundrel? Would you join Starfleet? And also, for each one, what color, first of all, in Star Wars, what would your lightsaber color be? And then in what Starfleet department would you work in? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) Let's see. So... I'm going to do the, uh, the cop-out answer on the where I would live because <laughs> I think I'm a bit of a hermit. So <laughs> maybe Dagobah. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Um, lightsaber. Um, I think the only right choice has to be purple, but that's only because Mace Windu. <laughs> Beacon of wisdom. And if there's anything I've learned about myself is that like my biggest ambitions in life are to never stop learning. Nice. Uh, that such a unique story of, about how uh, Sam Jackson was able to convince George Lucas to give him a purple lightsaber. It's yeah. it's a fun story. Yes. 
but that, I, I, I stand by that choice. I mean, personally, I think I, I would have green. What about you, Chris? Oh, definitely green. I think it's a very common color. Yeah, for sure. And and when I built my uh, custom lightsaber, uh, I chose a green crystal for mine. So kind of nice. Yeah. Very nice. So, so Landon, what Starfleet department would you work in? What would you be most interested in? Um, so it's funny you ask this one because I'm not too versed in exactly all the component or all the, uh, the structure of the whole hierarchy, not nearly as much as uh, a lot of my coworkers who were like getting really detailed on which pips to be part of. However, there was this joke title that I was given that was the commander of ops and dad- data while I was working on Star Trek Prodigy. So wherever commander of ops and data lies. <laughs> so I'd probably see you probably in a, in a gold uniform. Sounds about that department. Hey, gold um, looks good on me, so I'm good with that. Hey, awesome. So it works out perfectly. It's fate. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about your role as a technical director for animation. Um, we'll start with an easy question. What are some unique challenges with 3D animation that you don't have in traditional uh, 2D or hand-drawn animation projects? So nowadays, like the 2D animation industry has really, really changed, as you can imagine. Um, what was once done individual pieces of paper um, with, you know, cell sheets and then doing layers and projection um, techniques and things like that has now gone digital. So there's still software that is being used both for drawing key frames or key poses to characters and then team members fill in the blanks between the two. Now you can have computers help you with some of that animation or what they call tweening, uh, which is just the in-betweening that goes between uh, different action poses. Um, there's a lot of different approaches to 2D pipelines and, you know, sometimes you can reuse assets, but when it comes to 2D, a lot of things are unique and you have to generate content as you go along. So if it's a new episode, you're generally making that animation for the first time. Sometimes you reuse animations, but generally you are creating a new set of, I guess, poses and and actions. Uh, Whereas when it comes to 3D, you spend a lot of time ahead of time generating things like the sets, the characters, the props, vehicles, etc. Um, you can go through a phase of setting up a camera in 3D space to get that cinematic feel or to, to make it actually set up as you would in a physical location. Um, and then you can kind of go in layers as, as you build out the set more, you have more props, more environment elements that can gradually grow into the final uh, 3D scene. And you can kind of render it as you go along. So you you basically do a lot more front-loading and getting it right and tweaking it as you go along. And then you hit render for the final result. But if you get another season afterwards and you're revisiting the same set, you can still use those assets. You don't have to create it fresh every single time. And so that kind of like benefit is a great thing with 3D. However, that means that you need to have large amount of teams handling and generating all those assets ahead of time and on schedule. So in order to get a, uh, a specific set really like looking good, that's a lot of hands helping out with it. Yeah, I, I can only imagine you know, the you know, with the volume of work that's expected and the, the, amount, the, the amount of effort that has to go into even creating uh, you know, a few seconds of 3D animation, you'd want to have access to as much of the same, you know, resources as possible. So you don't have to start all over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that takes plenty of time and to, uh, oh, yeah. to build. We're, we're, we're starting a year, year and a half, sometimes two years out before it's even time to, uh, you know, hit the TV. Sure. Sure. Oh, wow. I, I, yeah. Uh, animation is, it's it it takes time uh to to really produce the final product oh most definitely most definitely so i mean it sounds like you've had a really well-rounded career involved in very interesting things but i'm kind of curious about where in the world has your career taken you what is the most interesting place in the u.s or in the world where your career has taken you and why so i've actually gotten the opportunity to really kind of bounce around a bit um, for a time between 18 to 26, I think, uh, I moved like every single year, it seemed like, 
And I would jump around cities around Texas, uh, out to Florida for school, kind of in between Texas cities, uh, Dallas and San Antonio. And then after working at a couple studios, I got a unique opportunity where I uh, got an offer out in Japan. So I wound up moving to Tokyo. <laughs> wow. So from from a moment of in-between jobs, uh, there's like a two-month gap of just doing freelancing and then i moved out to the other side of the world oh wow that must have been quite an adventure for you to be able to go over there and just the cultural differences and yeah i mean it it was a it was a great experience um i have to say i recommend if anyone ever gets a chance to work abroad do it even if it's like six months at a time it's good to get well-rounded and well-versed in the world um it's you know you get to enjoy all kinds of foods all kinds of events and things like that um, it was wonderful. I, I lived in Shinjuku, Tokyo, so it was in the heart of the of the big city. And uh, nice. going from um, San Antonio, which is a decent sized city in Texas, to Tokyo, Japan, uh, definitely a bit of culture shock, but <laughs> but it, it was <laughs> a great one. Yeah, uh, I mean, San Antonio is a pretty large city, but Tokyo is just so population dense. I can I can imagine how <laughs> that would yeah. have been a, a bit of an eye opener. Absolutely. Oh yeah, very much yeah. so. Luckily, I moved during summer, so I was a little bit used to the heat. But it's even more humid, if you can imagine, than in Texas. So it was kind of like walking through a fishbowl all the time. Ooh. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, what projects did you work on during your time in Japan? Um, so I actually worked for a studio who they did their own projects, but they also got outsourced from uh, many game companies. And so the project I worked on was actually an outsourced um, project from N- Nintendo that some people may know as Fire Emblem, which oh. is a stra- strategy mm-hmm. game. Um, it's an anime style strategy game that is turn based, um, quite enjoyable, very like deep in nature of how the strategy works. Uh, I was a fan for many years ahead of time. And so when I walked in, all the characters were like, you know, this looks like a very similar design style that I've seen before. I feel like, what what is this called? And my translator was like, oh, it's called uh, Iron 15. I'm like, oh, Iron, I'm not too sure what that is. Um, and she's like, oh, well, Iron from the periodic table is FE, right? Oh, this is Fire Emblem. <laughs> so th- they they nice. kind of joked around like that, and so I got to work on the cinematics for for Fire Emblem Fates. That's awesome. I I have dabbled a little bit in Fire Emblem. I I can't remember which one I played. It's been a while. I I know it was on the DS. Um, mm-hmm. so I can't remember which games in that series released on the DS. Yeah, I forget exactly all of them because there's there's so many titles at this point. Uh, I think yeah. the first one I played was on the Game Boy Advanced. Yeah, that sounds about right because I think they started right around the Game Boy Color. Maybe Game Boy Advance was the first uh, introduction to the series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. Um, I'm not a big strategy RPG player, but I do enjoy Fire Emblem, and I know Chris isn't much of a gamer, so I don't think he has too much to add. But not much. I'm, you know, I still have the last video game I st- I I stopped playing video games pretty much in the late '90s when I was in high school. I just kind of tapered off from it. But every now and then, I'll fire up my 30 year old Super Nintendo system, which still works surprisingly, and play a couple games here and there. But that's about as far as my gaming now goes. I mean, honestly, that's good though, because like I, I have like the Nintendo Switch, and they have that whole like. Uh, SNES emulator, so I'm still playing Donkey Kong Country on that thing. Oh, there you go. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I never pass up an opportunity to, to play a, a new release of Ocarina of Time. So there you go. Yeah, uh, yep, I, I, <laughs> I was really, really excited whenever Nintendo Switch introduced the uh, N64 games. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what else they add to that. Right. I know. I, I'm just. I'm hoping for Shadows of the Empire. I know that has to be very tricky to get Nintendo and Lucas Arts to sign off on that, but I would love to see it on the service. Hey, if they can get a Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy into a Smash Brothers game, I think they can. I think can probably figure that one out. True. True. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Fire Emblem is a very, very wildly popular and successful series, Chris. So okay, uh, the, the fact that that Landon worked on that is is pretty uh it, that's gonna that's gonna perk some ears for sure <laughs> nice I, cool. I was pretty excited about it too <laughs> <laughs> <I bet. laughs> 
All right. Um, so I, I actually, before we get to the next question, do you mind telling us a little bit more about what a technical director does for the 3D animation industry? Like what specifically you're involved in, just to give our audience a, a better idea, because I know I know almost nothing about it. Yeah, sure. So it, part of the problem, though, is that there seems to be many descriptions of what a technical director is and what they do. And that really depends on the scope that their assistance needs to come into play for a company. Because if you are in a big company, um, you may have a smaller scope as to what you handle as a technical director. However, essentially what it is, it's kind of your go-to consultant and worker to deal with technology in a technical role for production. Really what that means actually is that there are so many things that can happen when it comes to working in software on a computer. Uh, you need somebody around who can troubleshoot problems, can develop and invent solutions to unique challenges, um, as well as someone who just kind of looks at what new software is coming down uh, in the, the, the industry as a whole and maybe recommend new software to work on future projects. So, for example, if we are working in something like Maya, which is a, a popular 3D program for, um, for, for film, uh, maybe we need a new tool or something like that that is unique. Perhaps it's a, a, a look. Maybe we want to make things look like uh, the Spider-Verse where it's like half 3D, half 2D. Well, maybe Maya doesn't have that out of the box. It would be up to someone like me or a technical director to write something in either a native programming language or find some solution otherwise to make that possible to you know look at all right how does a 3d render work and how does 2d work and is there a way to combine the two mathematically or programmatically to achieve that final visual uh result so and that that's one aspect another aspect is hey my files are broken and i'm getting an error what do i do and then I'll come over and be like, oh, you forgot to save or something, you know, goofy like that. <laughs> so there's a whole range. So you can kind of help the animators who are doing the the uh, the creation of the characters or the backgrounds to kind of fix any jankiness in a way. Yeah. Like, for example, we had a, an issue where uh, files had some bloat code inside of it and it was causing files to be very large, which already in 3D definitely files get pretty large to deal with. And this is the geometry, the the points and the the polygons. Um, and sometimes it comes with extraneous code that who knows where it comes from. And so it's up to me to look through the actual ASCII files or the file itself and identify where that may be, try and figure out where is this coming from and then come up with a solution on either to prevent it or to clear it out. Okay, okay. I, I like that you mentioned uh, Into the Spider-Verse because that that animation style, when I first saw it, what, 2018 was when that movie came out, I think? Mm-hmm. I was just absolutely blown away by how it really took animation to a new level. It's gorgeous. It really is. And and it's a, it's a trend that um, a lot of people are, are definitely doing more of. And so, like, I think at the time with Rugrats, we were looking at every time the babies go into like a dream sequence or like, you know, the imagination sequences, mm-hmm. um, maybe we wanted to get it to have a look and feel or, or, or something unique about it that is very clearly visually representative in a not, not the typical world, not the typical rendering style. And so one of the things we were tossing up is that, hey, can we do one of these kind of shaders? Um, and I jumped off to Star Trek Prodigy pretty early on from uh, after working on, on Rugrats. So I don't know if they've used it since, but I came up with some, some, uh, some shaders that could actually achieve some of that look, which, you know, it's very involved, but, uh, luckily my time in at, uh, the company in Japan, since that's all about anime turned into 3d rendering, uh, I was able to use some of that knowledge and, and come up with a shader. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Uh, Chris, I think you wanted to ask a question, right? Yes, about Star Trek Prodigy. So it says you so you have done some animation work on Star Trek Prodigy in the past. What exactly attracted you to that project? So I think that we in general at Nickelodeon at the time, there were a lot of projects that were in-house, but not too many would come down the pipe that would be just 
something like Star Trek. <laughs> sure. You know, that, that's very a, a unique experience. And so um, my my boss, uh, who I, I don't want to get his job title incorrect. I think it was supervisor producer uh, Patrick Krebs. Um, he he had been working with me for a few years at that point in time. Um, he was my boss for several projects, and the moment that he knew that it was coming, he was like, "Dude, this is going to be really cool. How about you, you know, help us out with it? Um, it'd be great if you worked on some of the tools, and we can talk about like the the pipeline to to get this thing going." Um, and I'm just like, uh, "Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> nice. Sounds like a, a really awesome project. Um, it sounds like we can really like let loose on how." how high quality we want to get this thing thing to look and how do we scale it so we can have lots of components and lots of visual effects and, and uh, really, really do something that's not the typical um, approach to some of the past projects we had done. Right. Absolutely. Are there any particular characters that, that you worked on that you, you really enjoyed? So I, I get to touch a little bit of everything when it comes to the production. Uh, since I don't work on making the geometry and I don't work on moving the characters, mm-hmm. um, I am always opening their files and I'm always checking to make sure that they are functional, mm-hmm. that their files are clean and that the artist can take them and do what they need to with them. So I'm always looking at characters. So like when Gwen was first being designed um, and she, I believe, was the first character that we were designing at the time, uh, I mean, it was such a cool thing to just be able to go go through and check to see what the artists were doing, mm-hmm. how they were developing the uh, the textures. Um, once the rigs were put in place and she was mobile, you know, I would I would sit there and work on making sure that uh, the articulations didn't cause any problems. Which you know, our artists are amazing, so there's hardly ever a thing to be concerned about. Um, and yeah, I mean, like every opportunity I could, I'd always be messing with characters or props or, or go to, you know, like murder planet or as we called it, um, and be able to like <laughs> yeah. fly around a little bit and, and, you know, check it out and things like that. And so even though I didn't personally make any of the characters, um, always kind of being like the one that floats around, making sure all, all the gears have grease and everything is in motion and mm-hmm. everything is in its place for everybody to be working at any point in time. Uh, that that's, you know, what's rewarding to me. So I guess, I got to touch everything <laughs> to some capacity. Well, that's wonderful. It's just amazing. It's just the, the, the level of detail and work that all of you put into the show. I mean, kudos to all of you, the level of talent. It was just, it's wonderful. Every time watching the show, just getting to be in that world that you guys have created, it's just wonderful. Now, speaking of that, are there is there a particular character on the show that you love out more than any of them? Hmm. I mean... I just I I'm a I'm a Gwen fan. Um, Gwen. Mm-hmm. I'm a Gwen fan. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, I don't know what season they're out on, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal any future things because <laughs> there's some there's some cool characters. Uh, yeah, we're gonna go with Gwen. <laughs> okay, sounds well. You got to create a new species from scratch. That's wonderful. Yeah. You know, uh, a couple actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, and yeah, and wonderful character. And Gwen was just full of detail and it just just a very fascinating character so thank you for your role in that that's just great yeah. Yeah, I'm, i mean I'm, everyone loves murph of course but <laughs> oh sure sure yeah when are we getting our stuffed toy murphs um, <laughs> yeah, any say on that one i can't speak on that one i can't speak on that one uh, yeah, Gwen is definitely one of the more compelling new characters in yes. that show. Uh, just everything with you know, you know her her uh, traveling back in time to try to undo uh, the the first contact they had with Starfleet. I, I I'm just I'm I'm along for the ride for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So you know, as far as what you would like to see as a legacy for either what you do or for the animation industry as a whole, what, what kind of mark do you hope you can leave on, on the animation industry? Oh man. Um, so the legacy that I'm trying to build, actually, honestly, I'll talk a little bit in detail if you'd like a little bit later, but, um, what I've learned a lot in the past, like 12 years in the industry, I want to pass as much of that down as I can while, while I'm continuing to learn more myself. Um, as an artist turned programmer, 
there's a lot of missing knowledge that I wish I had going through school, a lot of practical knowledge. Uh, I wish somebody had taught better in school about how, what 3D is, or honestly, even things like how to apply things like math. Because <laughs> I was very much a, uh, like I only focused on the art classes and never really anything else. Um, but if someone were to show me, hey, that stuff they're teaching you in algebra actually can be useful. Like I once repaired a 3D tank using the Pythagorean theorem <laughs> just to get the treads to, to, to move the right way. Um, like being able to apply that in school and explain that kind of stuff is, I, I wish that existed better. And so I hope that through some of the projects that I'm trying to take on, that I'll be able to help people learn or be inspired um, by, you know, things of that nature. Where I have struggled, I hope I can pass on to others basically ways to see light when faced with darker moments as well, because it's it's not an easy uh, thing to pursue being an artist um, in the industry for 3D or 2D or otherwise. And um, just finding the beauty and ambition and the pursuit of fulfillment and things of that nature. I hope that other people in the 3D industry can really, I don't know, if they feel like they're struggling, I want to... Some of the projects I'm trying to pick up right now, I, I hope to help be a little bit of a guide or a, a consultant in that space. I think my high school geometry teacher would be very pleased to know that the Pythagorean theorem is is used uh, today in, in 3D animation, and right. it can be you know it can be used to uh, to troubleshoot some issues. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, who, whoever knew that um, <laughs> something so simple, graphs and whatnot, could actually be used for you know, the things that distract us from school. <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful point. Stay in school, kids, learn math. You can, you too can make animation. Exactly. And, yeah, and if you don't like math, just pick up a, you know, do compo- computer programming or do a 3D art because they're very satisfying. I will say this. I work with a lot of children and adolescents in my line of work. I'm a, a private practice therapist. And a lot of the kids nowadays want to go into the field that you work in. They really want to do computer design, gaming design. So it's definitely extremely popular now with this generation. So I think that there won't be any shortage of anybody, you know, wanting to go into that field. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I agreed. And, and actually back to the whole like AI space, I think that tools and resources surrounding that section of technology will make it a lot more accessible to people. Mm-hmm. So the um, the new coming generations of designers and creatives will be able to use tools that otherwise you would need to be working mm-hmm. in large companies to have access to. Absolutely. And that will be great because then people can tell stories uh, at all ages. Yes. Absolutely. So I'm very curious, Landon, what were some of your favorite projects throughout your career? Um, so honestly, the Star Trek project is a pretty awesome one, but mm-hmm. um, and then the Fire Emblem is pretty awesome too. I mean, the thing is, is that any opportunity to really get to sit down and invent new ways we interface with 3D mm-hmm. or the 3D software um, is just something I really, really nerd out about. Mm-hmm. So I think that Star Trek Prodigy was the first time I really got to let loose as far as being able to recommend techniques um, Mm -hmm. and how we go about certain things. You know, there's creative goals that, you know, uh, the directors want to see happen. And then the supervising producer needs to make sure that it is feasible and it's within the scope of, of possibilities. And then that comes down to me as a question of, hey, is this possible? Is there a tool that you can write? Is there something that, um, we've seen in the past slows us down. Uh, can you write something to speed it up? So now we don't have that kind of bottleneck. Those mm-hmm. kinds of projects are really, really fun to me. Um, so it's, it's less about the show mm-hmm. and more about the technology from my perspective. Um, because there's been several shows that I've worked on that wind up getting uh, canned, unfortunately for a, a myriad of reasons. Mm-hmm. And so you you spend months working on a thing and then it's suddenly, you know, kind of kicked to the curb well, at least I got to make some cool technology that I can use for the next project <laughs> mm-hmm. with it. Um, but as far as like the the products that I consume, uh, Star Trek Prodigy has been a really awesome project to to be able to see when it's finished. I got to work a little bit at the end of the Ninja Turtles uh, 3D series, mm-hmm. not the new ones oh, that are coming wow. out or or anything like that. Um, but they there's like a Mad Max um, story that uh, the um, old Nickelodeon 3D Turtles 
series had, as well as a crossover with uh, Yojimbo, who was like a um, rabbit samurai character. Those were really fun stories to, to work on as well. I will forever and always be a Ninja Turtles fan. So yeah, Yeah, (laughs) that's fantastic. I I definitely want to check out the new animated series that they have coming. I, I, I I'm I'm looking forward to it. Isn't there a a pretty big, like Hollywood a or B lister that's behind that series? Uh, I don't want to get mixed up, which projects I thought, Mm. which one is Seth Rogen working on? That might be the newest (laughs) one. I think that's it. Yeah, the movie. Yeah. That movie is coming out, right? Yeah, that's right. The movie is um there there's a there's a 2D series that's already out. Uh and then there's the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be the one. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I couldn't remember. My 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 mind was blank as far as what star was involved. But yeah, Seth Rogen, that as soon as you said that, I I the the, the light bulb turned on. <laughs> now, I also have to be careful because it's like, all right, this was announced, right? Yeah, okay, this was announced. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's hard, you know. You you spend so many years before a project even sees the light of day working on yeah. something. So yeah, you have to be very careful about what you uh, disclose. So it, they they even have to go so far as you know install extra doors in a building to make sure that the rest of the uh, company doesn't see certain projects that you work on. Uh, cause sometimes like you really have to be careful about, about, um, how people find out about the project. Cause there's a very specific schedule that marketers have to go through to get the campaign rights, to get the, uh, the most optimized like feedback, um, and, you know, ultimately make money. <laughs> so if that, that releases or, or, uh, gets leaked too soon, uh, for whatever reason, then that's, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Right. For sure. So as far as I know, you, you know, you had mentioned fixing the tank using uh, the Pythagorean theorem. Uh, mm-hmm. What what's the biggest barrier that you kind of helped uh, animators uh, push through or, or break through? So when it comes to, I guess pipeline is the key thing, and and pipeline refers to how the steps to achieve the final goal. Um, a, a modeler will make the geometry for a character. A texture artist will add the colors and make, you know, rocks look like rock, um, make Jenkin Pog's hair look like fur and hair, etc. Uh, leather, whatnot. A rigging artist will add the bones inside the character's geometry. An animator will move the, an- the character around to tell a story. Um, lighting artists will put lights in the scene to, to set a mood. Uh, render artists will make sure that the renders come out looking nice, but there's like a thread that ties all of that together. How does an artist like finish up a file? How do they work in iterations without like saving over the same file? How do you name files? How do you find them? How do you get access? What if I have a set that has a hundred lights in it? Uh, like the the um, why can't I remember the name of the ship? <laughs> um, the the protostar. So like on the bridge of the protostar there is a lot of lights. Do if you have to turn it into different mo- you know modes when it transforms does it need to go um like how does an artist select those lights and change those colors? That's not easy access stuff and if you don't organize it in a specific way then it's even harder to get access to that that kind of thing. And so my job and when the things that I did for Star Trek Prodigy and many other projects beforehand is to create UIs to have access to these things for easy um, manipulation of values to help facilitate the naming conventions on uh, how is the file named, where is it stored, uh, looking at the, the name of the file, how do you know what phase it's in, um, where do you store the file, as well as when a file is done, how is it moved over to the next artist to work on. These are things that you don't visibly see, but they make all the difference when it comes to a uh, in a company setting or at a studio to make things work cleanly. And you can't just do it like sloppily. There's ways to make it scale so that you can have more and more inside of a scene. Um, and the kinds of things that I invented for the, the project really made it so that everyone was able to move quickly and at scale with a lot of, of elements moving constantly. 
I wow. hope that answered the question there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, I mean, it's amazing hearing how many moving parts and how many pieces go into, you know, the final project of what we see on our screens. And, mm-hmm. you know, a, you know, a single episode is what, 22 minutes generally of a half hour animated show. Yeah. And that's 24 frames a second, you know, 60 seconds a minute, 22 minutes. All of those frames are rendered and they, and this is also part of my job too, is to make sure that the renders don't take too long because uh, for a, a, a um, feature film, a render could take upwards to a few hours to render. In our setting, because we're TV, we have to crank out episodes way faster. Uh-huh. Um, we have to find ways to make it so that renders take 30 minutes to an hour per frame. And you know that means that we are wrangling you know, a room full of machines, 40, 50 machines, and distributing each frame onto those, have them render 30 minutes to an hour, get it all back, and then stitch it together to have a movie file at the end. I, I, I can't even wrap my head around all of that. It, honestly, <laughs> it just, um, I, I know what I see. I know what I, you know, and, and so much of it is just incredible to, to see how it all comes together in the end. And just, I, I mean, I, I really appreciate the, the level of work and the level of detail that has to go into these projects. Um, only yeah and and the uh the the team they are absolutely incredible we had a wonderful management team and they're the ones who they have the spreadsheets of all the assets that goes into every basically you have an episode it breaks down into scenes the scenes are broken down into shots you have to tell what shot has what set what characters what props that's all in a spreadsheet and you have to know what stage is all of these dependencies at is it still being worked on is it complete um, and you have a team who's dedicated to making sure that, that that works. And they are so very tied to the day-to-day lives of the artists to make sure that they're, the artists are working, you know, they have a to-do list and they're on, on track, they're on schedule. Um, and then the lead artist that we have on our team was, or is, uh, I, I have moved, if we hadn't mentioned in the episode, I've moved actually to another project lately um, over at Disney, but um, team is still going strong for the Star Trek Prodigy stuff and everyone is just absolutely incredible very very talented people all across the board so um how did you kind of get your start into animation what was it about animation that really attracted you and and you know informed you like this is what i what i want to do for the rest of my life so i i know i'm a bit of a weirdo here (laughs) in that uh unlike most people I know, um, and this is definitely not a flex, I promise that, is I kind of knew what I wanted to be since I was a child. <laughs> and I just kind of, I, I didn't take no as an answer, <laughs> is really what it came down to. Uh, so I grew up in you know the age of Nintendo 64, um, when Mario 64 first came out, Mario Kart. Um, and like, just seeing the, the 3D uh, in that space, seeing games uh, was probably the most inspiring thing for me. I was the nerdy kid who like wrote Nintendo Power, like an idea for characters, and of course they're just like, "Yeah, sure, kid. Thanks for sending the email." But <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and, but I mean, like that was the the age I grew up in was was like the booming of. Nintendo in that uh, in the 3D space, and so like the moment that video games started having cinematics in them, you know, you you play a storyline, you're playing along, and then suddenly there's like this pre-rendered movie that is like way higher quality than the game itself. That was so cool to me, and so I knew that that is what I wanted to do when I was. I think I, I technically started programming first. Um, when I was like 11 or 12, I was like writing websites for like talking about video games online kind of thing back when like uh, bulletin board systems were popular. But then I picked up graphics when I needed to make my websites look pretty. And then when I realized, oh, sometimes you can make 3D stuff to do these graphics on the website. Let me pick up that kind of stuff. And so I think when I was like 14, I uh, started in a software called Bryce 3D which is just an atrocious software. Uh, but it basically made like those old, like if you ever saw those cheesy 80 3D like renders that they would put on binders and things, um, that's kind of the software that that you know, came from. It was not good, 
but it was a starting point. And so like in high school, we just happened to have a, a 3D class and that's what they used was Bryce. So I started picking that up and I, I swore that that's what I was going to do. Um, I've played video games all my life and uh, I mean, it, it was just like this is just, you know, nerding out a bit, but I mean, it's, 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 that's just who I am. <laughs> so I pursued it. I know you can't see me, but I am raising my hand uh, in agreement that, that I, as far as gaming, um, you, you mentioned uh, the the pre-rendered cinematics in video mm-hmm. games, and I remember that my like my very first jaw-dropping moment was playing Final Fantasy VII for the first time. Yeah, yeah. I, I technically played uh, nine before seven, and same thing. It was just like, what? Wait, this is this is actually. Before that, I don't know if you know this game, but there was a game called Legend of Dragoon, which mm-hmm. was uh, just, I think that one was probably like the core memory game for me. Uh, I think that those cinematics were way ahead of their time. Horrible voice acting. Horrible voice acting. <laughs> <laughs> but the the look of the game was, was incredible. And so just like Final Fantasy VII, just like the moment the camera starts moving and flying through the scene and like I'm not controlling the character, but it's telling a story um, they were things to look forward to and they were moving. They captivated moments that were, you know, emotional, um, spoiler alerts, earth dies kind of thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, in, in those kind of cinematic situations. And, and yeah, I mean, like I, early on, I'm just like, okay, so how do they do that? And can Bryce do that? No, but I'm going to try and learn it anyways. And I, I had a few like moments where I would jump between, um, careers in college because, there were no real programs, not good programs, I guess, in school to really pick it up. So I jumped between graphic design and a little bit of uh, audio engineering for a little bit, worked as a DJ for a bit. And then I'm like, you know what? I keep getting these ads for this full cell university. Uh, I'm just going to go. And despite the massive student loan that came with it, um, I ended up, you know, getting my, my stuff together and really focusing in on that. And, uh, it's a two-year program. If you haven't heard of it, it basically every semester is one month long and classes get scheduled at any hour during the day or night. So you may have a month where you're, you know, you've got a 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. kind of thing. Next month, it may be 9 a.m. and then a 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. kind of like Oof, breakdown. It, it was wow. it was intense. Very intense. Oof. Man, we thought 8 a.m. classes were bad. <laughs> oh, no, it was it was ridiculous. And and there were times, usually December gets rough because of the holidays. They have to make room. So they have to cram all the classes in on the weekends, too. So, and when you're learning 3D, 3D is not an easy thing to get into, but it is it, it's rewarding, but it, it's there's a barrier, you know, you have to get used to. Um, and so when you're, when you're introduced to the technical side, you usually get in because you're an artist wanting to make pretty things but getting into some of the technical aspects uh you're you're going to be up all night and we would be in the uh like the the common areas the whole class together and we would just be working from just the entire night basically until class started and you know half of us have to stand in the back of the room otherwise we will fall over asleep (laughs) kind of thing yeah um very hardcore but i graduated valedictorian so congratulations uh, great so that was a that was a pretty awesome uh uh you know experience for me it's it's a tough one because it's you know exactly what you put in and if you need sleep and i recommend having sleep (laughs) then (laughs) maybe it's not the right choice (laughs) but uh but i made that choice at the cost of some health and um it's it's paid out a lot for a lot of really cool opportunities for me I mean, Full Sail University wow. has quite the pedigree, so uh, it does. It, it, it's it's definitely if you know if you're interested in digital arts, that is probably the the A list you know university to go to. So, yeah, it, it's definitely up there. There's a few options all over the board. Um, that's the one that spoke to me, and I moved out to Orlando to experience it. Um, it was very much a you're in this bubble, and the bubble is the world of of whatever degree you're in they have programs for video games uh both art as well as programming they have um degrees for music uh business or you know entertainment as well as computer animation which is what i took yeah and uh, they have a lot of uh they do a lot of tv production there too don't they yeah so they have a uh i believe they i forget the name of it but they have a daily news that is actually 
um, recorded live there. They have an entire film backlot because right it started as a film school um, or actually I think it started as an audio school, but it's known as for its film stuff as well. So they have lots of stages in the back. Um, they have motion capture for uh, some of the the sports video games. Um, they also do live um, esports arena stuff nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, back when I was there, they unveiled the Blackmore Studios uh, game development lab, which was basically in memory of, of I, I can't remember his name and forgive me for all the Dungeons and Dragons fans, but um, the creator and writer of the Blackmore, I believe it's Blackmore, um, uh, story set or campaign. Uh, so I got to play D- Dungeons and Dragons with um, that man's granddaughter, which was pretty cool. Wow, nice. <laughs> which, which it was just a, sh- a short little thing. Everyone kind of played and it was just like a, a very fast scenario, you know, just say what you want to do. And it wasn't an in-depth campaign or anything like that, but it was a fun experience. Yeah. I, that is one nerdy uh, pursuit that really never latched itself onto me. And I, I kind of regret it. Is, Dungeons you know, and Dragons? Dungeon, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. I oh. just, I never got into it. I, and I've had opportunities. I just, I, at this point, I just feel intimidated to even start. <laughs> no, it, it's not, it, it shouldn't be an intimidating thing. There's definitely a lot, and they've over the years made it a lot more accessible for sure. Um, sometimes for better, for worse, depending on who you ask. Um, but it, it's a fun one. I mean, I'm not too sure on your opinions for like things like Rick and Morty, but there's a, uh, Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons campaign if that's a little bit <laughs> easier to get into. That was a fun one. I love Rick and Morty. Uh, and that really walks you through the process too so you don't have to be like a a, a, a great dungeon master or anything like that to, to get that. They already have the storyline in there for you. That's incredible. Nice. I, I, okay, maybe maybe that's where I get my start. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it. It was fun. Yeah, sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. I mean, I could, uh, I could probably ask you 20 more follow-up questions to everything you just shared with us, but I'll, I'll try to refrain. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it, we're kind of, we're getting close to the hour mark here. So I, I have one final question and then we'll kind of see if that leads us to any more discussion. But it, I know you mentioned earlier that you are currently with Walt Disney animation. Is mm-hmm. that, and you know, of course, without getting you in trouble, because I know how ironclad their NDAs can be. <laughs> what are some of the projects that you're working on that you're allowed to tell us about? I'm not. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm not. Short, sweet, <laughs> to the point. <laughs> but I will say that I have some personal projects popping up. If it, if it's okay, if I take a moment to talk about that, please, please, absolutely. absolutely. So, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I want to leave a legacy for other people getting into the 3D space. Um, I have a personal project right now where I'm starting a YouTube channel um, all about how to build a career in the 3D industry. And this is less of a tutorial-based channel. It's more about how to navigate as an artist, as a developer, the industry as a whole, how to um, navigate things like writing a good resume, uh, developing a good um, demo reel portfolio, as well as certain mindsets and myths to debunk and uh, general approaches to choosing the right schools, how to make the most out of your time at school, how to land your first job, how to really, really thrive in the industry. So I'm working on that currently. Uh, it, the, the channel is called Realized Design, if you don't mind me plugging. <laughs> um, look for, I think there's a couple other places that are uh, channels that are called the same thing, but look for the little chest night and light bulb logo. Um, I only have, I think, four videos up and they're not great yet. <laughs> so if you're if you're into someone talking awkwardly at a camera for a little bit and you want to like join me on my journey of getting used to being in front of a camera um, and learn about the 3D industry, by all means, um, come join. Uh, I'm open to talk about this kind of stuff to, you know, till the cows come home. Um, so right now what I'm doing for the project is I'm with that open AI technology, I'm writing an entire production suite for content creation for myself so that I can just automate the majority of the things that I do not need to do manually and then do all the storytelling and all the video editing manually. And then as I described earlier about those, how you save a file, how you move things around, all that's being automated through the stuff I'm developing for it. Very cool. Nice. Uh, if you don't mind, could you email me the YouTube link to your channel and I will make sure it gets added to the show notes. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Thank I appreciate you. that. Of course, of course. I always, 
like to make sure that I give our guests a chance to plug whatever they're doing or whatever they're working on. So yeah, definitely. We'll make sure that that gets in the show notes for you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, um, I, ha- I have like, uh, I- I'm going to make a video on this. It's, it's basically showing off the, uh, the system that I'm developing. I have over 400 videos lined up for episodes. Uh, I only have four posted, <laughs> uh-huh. so I've got a lot of work to do, but it ranges for beginners, graduates, industry professionals, people who want to start studios. Um, so it covers a gamut of, of who it's for. Okay. That's wonderful. Chris, do you have anything that you'd like to add or ask? On the technical aspects, not really. Um, but I guess as a as a fellow nerd, um, just since you've been working on Star Trek Prodigy, what are your thoughts right now about this season of Star Trek Picard? Have you been enjoying it? I, I need to actually catch back up. I've watched, uh, how far did I get? We got real deep into production when Picard first came out and we got the opportunity to watch it in the Nickelodeon theater for the first oh. few episodes. And I, I don't know, like everyone, it's kind of like a div, uh, different opinions on the show. I really liked it mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I need to, I need to catch back up because I've been meaning to get back to that. Mm. How many episodes are you in so far for this season? Um, I think that I need to catch up on the first season, actually. So, oh, really? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit far behind. <laughs> well, with how busy you are, it makes sense. And it makes yeah. sense. But let me just tell you, you're in for a wild ride. They, what they've come up with so far, these first five episodes have been incredible. So if you're a big Trek awesome. nerd, you will you will love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. I've been meaning to get back into it. And mm-hmm. like, oh, man, like this this uh, job is definitely one that it's it's from the time you start till the time you clock out and then some kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's hard to really uh, unwind. Sure. (laughs) I can imagine. And I'm sure, you know, you know, working in animation and video games, I mean, I'm sure you have, uh, you you have a lot of crunch time where, you know, yeah. Right. As projects are getting ready to uh, be shared with the world. I'm, I'm sure you work even longer hours just to hammer out all of the, issues and anything that could come up before it's ready to to be seen so i have i have stories on times where i was working from eight in the morning to 3 a.m or so before i would head home and on some of those days it was like stay at the studio and just like you know find a way to sleep under the the cubicle kind of moments um for three months at a time just to get a project you know out um and those are those are like rare but they happen <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh yeah yeah crunch time is a thing cool. <laughs> very much <Yeah. laughs> that's why I, I you know when when i see that games get delayed i you know of course if it's something i'm anticipating i really i, I get a little just dis- disappointed but i you know knowing how much that you know the hands that go into making it uh you know how much work they do i'm, I'm sure they appreciate the extra you know three, six, eight weeks that they get to, to really hammer out the final details. Yeah. I promise you that everyone who's working on the project, uh, creatively and just like systemly, <laughs> if that's word, um, they all want it to succeed. They all want it to be as best as possible. Usually when it comes to like things that hold it back, it's usually a trickle down effect <laughs> <laughs> typically. Um, but like the artists, like if, if something gets delayed, even though the artists are probably going to be working their butts off to get it like where it needs to be, no one is ever satisfied at the end of the day. Everyone is just like, oh, I wish I could made it like just that little bit more perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everyone is, you know, the teams are always striving, I guess, for the, the highest quality possible. So sure. Uh, sure. please be patient when, when things get delayed. Yes. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, it, it's it, the amount of work that, I mean, just what, just from talking to you this past hour, it, it really has given me a new perspective on, on these types of projects. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I will never complain again about <laughs> a game getting delayed. <laughs> well, I mean, if you do complain, it's all right. The, the artists are probably complaining a little bit too, because they, they <laughs> wish that they uh, had the, 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 I guess the structure to have succeeded at that, that time too. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been quite a fascinating discussion i i really appreciate the time that you've taken uh, to come on our show and and talk yes, this past you. hour uh wow um it's given me a lot me. to think about <laughs> yeah 
yeah i could nerd out with you about video games all day long so if you <laughs> ever <good>. want to, <laughs> if you ever want to connect on any kind of social media or if you just want to coordinate by email um i would love to just nerd out with you <laughs> for, for the foreseeable future so yeah yeah i'm down all right um well again thank you so much landon for thank for joining us much. today well, on yeah thank you for joining us on captain's logs and lightsabers uh i hope that uh, our audience enjoys this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it mm-hmm. um so please if you have any feedback for us if uh you'd like to see more guests like landon come on the show let us know on that note, I think that's going to do it for episode 24 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. My name is Jonathan. And I'm Chris. And I'm Landon. <laughs> May the Force be with you. And live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>